listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 147 of the Testudo Times podcast, probably the happiest podcast of the over 150 I have done in the four years I have been hosting this show. Nearly, last night, recording this on Wednesday, was the happiest basketball night any of us could have ever asked for. Maryland dunks on Purdue, and Carson Edwards lost his ankles multiple times. Michigan got dunked on at Penn State, and Duke was losing by 20. And then Louisville, who of course replaced Maryland in the ACC, decided to promptly gag in one of the most astonishingly obvious ways possible. And that almost ruined the night, but it didn't because we're not in the same conference anymore. But if Duke had lost Thomas by as many as we were hoping they were going to, that would have probably been the perfect night in terms of college basketball. You couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone has a one other team that they don't like. You know, take your pick of Michigan State, Wisconsin. One of them had to win last night. Um but in general, very good day for Maryland in particular, and just a fun night of college basketball, which to me is what matters even more. Well, I think we know the average Maryland fan gets a kick out of seeing Duke screw up, and let's be honest, they're not screwing up a lot this year, but they almost lost by 20 at Louisville, but then they won because I don't know what the hell happened to Louisville. Louisville went full Louisville. You see, like, that was, I was on my way home for most of that, so I missed the whole comeback. And I show up and it's tied. And I'm like, well, Louisville was winning by a decent amount before. I, I didn't even know the I score. I my eyes off it. And then it just sort of just happened. And Jimmy Dykes kept saying, it's over, but it's not over. And it was prophetic. Sounds about right. Uh, yeah. Not the most egregious choke, though. That was by the refs in Louisville, uh, LSU, Kentucky. I almost said Louisville, Kentucky, but that happened before. I was about to blame Papa John for uh, the Louisville choke, but apparently he was at the Kentucky game, which... There you go. That says it all. Uh, Lamar, it was almost a perfect night. Well, the Big Ten was basically a perfect night. Great night in the Big Ten. Uh, scary night for anyone who has to play Duke still. Zion dented a basketball. He what? Did. How does, like, can you imagine you're playing basketball at, like, a, your normal rec center and some dude pulls up and does that? Like, I'm not playing basketball anymore. I'm done. Get, get, take the ball away. I'm leaving. I think you'd have to go into therapy. Yeah, I'd have to talk to somebody about that. It's like, hey, um, I'm not sure I just saw what I saw. I got I to gotta leave, talk to some people, reconsider my whole life plan after this. Now, we, I do want to tie this in more to Maryland, and there is still the fantasy in my head of Bruno Fernando dunking on Zion Williamson, and that would just be the end. It would be over. We wouldn't have anything else to do at that point. And maybe it happens in the NCAA tournament. I don't know. But I still think about it possibly happening every time Bruno Fernando does something amazing. And... The, the fantasy is going to be is too good for it to actually happen in reality. And as the running saying on this show goes, Maryland does not deserve nice things in sports. However, last night there were good things in sports. Well, the second half was good. The first half was not. Thomas, uh, Tom, uh, you had Mark Turgeon saying that that game was two halves, and it really was two halves. It was eerie how creepy that was. And I mean, a lot of Maryland games this year have been two half affairs. Maryland's been bad in one and great in the other. But this was the most stark because they weren't very good in the first half. But then they played probably one of the best halves they've ever played under Mark Turgeon. Yeah, I mean, the something like the Indiana game was one that was pretty severe first half, second half. 
Wisconsin but was just the reverse. Wisconsin was that in reverse. Um, but this one, well, the second half was just so absurd. You know, 40 to 18 against number 12 in the country doesn't happen. That, it, that takes a lot. And Maryland brought a lot on both ends of the floor. And Purdue had no answers. It was quite amazing to watch a Maryland team that looked, I wouldn't say lost, but they didn't quite know what to do kind of on both ends of the floor. And Carson Edwards was chucking up shots and hitting them. And then, you know, when Ryan Klein hits a three-pointer from the logo right before halftime, you're going, it's going to happen again, isn't it? I even remember muttering to myself, they're going to lose this game now. This can't happen and Maryland win. And then Lamar, of course, they go in and just completely turn the game around. And I'm watching it happen, and you're going in your head like, is this happening? And it's not like it happened so quickly. It just sort of slowly happened, and you're like, oh, they're up seven, and Purdue's got no chance. Yeah, and like you said, once you see Ryan Klein hit that three at the end of the first half, Purdue goes up eight, and it's just like, oh, this is one of those Maryland games where they turn a five-point game into an eight-point deficit, and then... You, there's not much you can do, but to open the second half like they did, you open on an 8-2 run or a 10-2 run, so like the uh, you go from down 8 to down 2 just in the blink of the eye, and once Carson gets slowed down and then shut down, there's not much Purdue can really do. I would say shook. Oh, no. Carson definitely got shook. Uh, well, Figuratively and literally, uh, Eric Ayala, what a cross. The second one, I won't say he got shook. Uh, that one, I'll say I, we could have checked the floor to see if there was some uh, some slide or a little push off from Eric, but he hit the ground twice. He did. The first one was just beautiful. And I was saying, please, Eric, hit this three. And then he does, and I started maniacally laughing. Because that just doesn't happen with Maryland basketball. You don't get those kinds of moments. It only happens very rarely. And then suddenly it happens and the Xfinity Center is going to blow up. But I think also part of that, Thomas, has to do with it was a tale of two halves because, yes, we're going to talk attendance again, at least briefly. I know the game started at 6.30. And I know most Maryland fans knew it started at 6.30. They couldn't get there in time. So once people filled the building, then it felt like, well, this is a Maryland game against the big team. But it just didn't happen in the first half. It kind of felt like Maryland against Delaware. Yes, I mean, the, the overall attendance was under 15,000. The building seats 18,000, 17,950. And to be that far from a sellout against number 12 in the country, even for, like, I understand late arrivals, especially for a 6.30 game. You know, traffic is rough. It was raining. It was cold. I don't really understand 3,000 empty seats. That's that's the tough one for me. Um, but that said, the crowd that was there got really loud, especially second half. Um, it took – there was a Matt Harms air ball in the first half that I think actually woke the crowd up. You know, everyone everyone just came – you know, woke right up and decided, you know, to chant airball. I was like, oh, okay, people are here all of a sudden. Because you'd see it's some the first of the time you, It's shots. the first time you would notice them. Because you see some of the crowd shots 15 minutes before the game, you're like, uh, guys, there's a game here, right? Yeah, and it's one of those things, The as far as the students, the the sections, you know, court side will fill in first, and the wall fills in afterwards. So it's like a little misleading, but also the wall is usually 
half full 15 minutes before game time, especially for a game like that, and it, it wasn't. That's where I sat when I went to games as a fan, obviously. Uh, I didn't. I never liked the seats too low down because then you didn't get a good angle of it. But for me, I always liked the wall. And depending on the game, but the wall would fill up really quickly when you went there. And then here, you just you look up and up and up, and you'd be like, uh, "Hey, where is everybody?" <laughs> but in the second half, even if there wasn't anywhere near a sellout, it was loud in there. It reminds you just how great that building is when it's mostly full, and you're just wondering why it wasn't, even for the number twelve team in the country. I think the weather being bad and also, it being Purdue, and I mean, as while Maryland has had good games against Purdue, it doesn't quite get you excited in the same way that some other Big Ten teams will. But saying that, as we move on from attendance, the second half was probably the best Maryland basketball that I don't even know if we've seen this year. It might be the best under Mark Turgeon because everything that they did worked. Purdue couldn't hit the broadside of a barn shooting the ball. And it wasn't like the games against Northwestern and Nebraska where the teams legit couldn't shoot. This was Maryland causing a good team to not be able to shoot. And at the other end, they were executing perfectly almost every single time. And everybody was in on it. Eric Ayala's had very good games recently. Aaron Wiggins hit a couple of big shots. Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith started to muscle their way and do the things that we expected them to do. Like That is probably if Mark Turgeon could bottle any half and say, I want you to do that again. That's the half he wants to bottle. Because Maryland plays like that, they can beat anybody. Because there is no team that could stop what Maryland was able to do in the second half last night, no matter how good they are. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that was a gear I didn't know Maryland had. And to do it for an entire half. And I think a lot of it is Purdue kind of just folded itself up. Um, it's not that they stopped trying. They just kind of lost all confidence at I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what point. I'm going to go with the Bruno dunk on Harms, which to me was like the most exciting thing I saw last night. Because for whatever reason, the, where our seats are on, on press row, like I didn't get a good view of uh, Edwards hitting the deck. It's behind that basket if you don't know where the press sits. At least the shot there. was behind. Yeah. Well, the shot was from behind the basket, so I didn't see that. And yeah. But... I saw Bruno dunk on a 7-3 kid. That was interesting. It was it was fascinating because we've been waiting for Bruno to dunk on somebody like that this year. It just hasn't happened all that often. He's had big dunks, but, you know, he's not really been able to make big dunks like that. Now, it was one of my favorite nights on Twitter because I made a joke about how the Dutch West India Company captured Angola, Luanda, the capital, in 1641 and said, this is Bruno paying back the Dutch for that, which I'm like, that's even an oblique history reference for me. But it somehow worked. It was one of the most liked Twitter uh, moments I've had in a while. Shows you how bad I've been on Twitter recently. Uh, but that was the that was a in the end it was the Bruno Fernando show in many ways because there there is no player Lamar that does for Maryland basketball like Bruno Fernando has. I said in many ways he's kind of like Grievous Vasquez. In some ways, obviously they play different positions, but there's nobody that gins up the excitement at a Maryland game and does things to get people off their game like Bruno Fernando does. And it is really, really fun to watch because when he plays for your team, there is nobody like that player. Yeah, and you have to remember the fact that Bruno didn't score his first point until 15 minutes into the game, and it, it was a very loud entrance. Not even score his first point. He didn't have his first shot attempt until 15 minutes in. Uh, he made a very loud entrance with alley-oop, and then 
he's the type of guy who he wakes up the Xfinity Center. The Xfinity wakes Xfinity Center wakes up when he's playing, and he really feeds off the energy of the crowd. Um, then to watch him come on at the end like he did, secure his seventh straight double double, was nice. But the story is really like the freshman in the middle to, uh, that kept the scoring going. At one point, I think it was 21 points coming from freshmen. 21 points in a row. Yeah, which is insane. Um, like even we, Eric Ayala was informed of that after the game, and he just had to say, wow, he, he hadn't realized that. They grew up last night in front of our eyes. Well, it's interesting because remember when we talked about this recruiting class for a while, it was all about how Maryland was going after the big fish and missed. I mean, it's not like, you know, getting some of those players wouldn't have been nice, but it's not like Maryland traded down much. They had really good players, and then all of them basically contributed. And Thomas, Eric Ayala has played really, really well recently. There was a time when he wasn't quite at his best, and I think Maryland kind of sagged a little bit in its form when that happened. But in these recent games where Anthony Cowan hasn't quite been doing crazy Anthony Cowan things, Eric Ayala has been doing all of those things, and he's been hitting big shots, he's been running the offense, and he has been really, really good. You know, Maryland's had a lot of great freshmen in recent years. What Ayala's doing right now is up there with all of the great freshman stretches that Maryland has had, and he is a large reason why they can play like that, even when Anthony Cowan is, I mean, by his standards in a slump. Yeah, I mean, Ayala, he he started the season all right, but he's just been so much more assertive in the last few games. He's, he's always been a good passer. He's always been a pretty good defender. Um, the, the shooting has been kind of sneaky because he didn't come in known for his shooting. He's taken open shots and he's made them. And now he's making more of an effort to create himself, uh, create opportunities for himself. You know, I, like I didn't realize he had the kind of handles he had until last night. I don't know if Carson Edwards, yeah, I don't know if he realized it either. He Um, does now. Yeah, I mean, he is checking off most, pretty much every box right now. He's, you know, he can create, he can pass, he can defend, he can shoot. Um, And he's been a really, really solid player when they needed someone to step up. And the other thing about the freshman last night was Aaron Wiggins was hitting big shots. And you wouldn't expect he of the three main freshmen, he's the lesser of the three. That's no slight to Aaron Wiggins. But he's been hitting big open perimeter shots recently, too. And when Maryland's needed a bucket, it's felt like Aaron Wiggins has hit those shots, right? Because he hit that, I think it was the 34-29 to basket against Nebraska when Nebraska was making a run, and that was the last you heard of the Cornhuskers. And in this game, he had a couple of threes to start to put Maryland ahead after they had a couple of chances to go ahead and they didn't take it, right? Like, Aaron Wiggins is now starting to hit very important shots in games and make these plays, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I've been I've been in on Wiggins since day one. Um, he he can do a lot. You know, we saw him at the Capital Classic, where you know a lot of the guys were, and he was the best player on a you know a court that had like five star recruits from a handful of places, kids going to Blue Bloods, and he was MVP there, and. You know, he, he hasn't shown enough of that, as much of that consistently, but the flashes are, are there, and they've come up in big moments recently. Lamar, you can continue on this. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just got to echo what uh, Thomas said. 
Aaron Wiggins is coming up. Like, he's starting to find that confidence in his shot where he was – some of the shots that he was missing earlier in the season are falling, and he's being encouraged to keep taking those. And he's a shooter. He was a shooter. That was, like, the biggest thing he was known for coming into college. And he's been able to do all the other things on the court while his shot hasn't been falling. But he has a reputation as a shooter, and to watch some of these shots go in now is – very confidence-building for him and definitely for the team and his future going forward. And then there's Jalen Smith, who Mark Turgeon said had a Jalen Smith bad half and then the Jalen Smith great half. And we've been talking a little bit, Thomas, about how he's not been quite what we thought he could be. It's not necessarily inconsistency, but how his nickname sticks is a little bit too on point sometimes. But Purdue's not, you know, this is not Isaac Haas and Caleb Swanigan from last year, but... This is a big team. It's a physical team in Purdue. And then he helped take the game over in the second half. And Maryland, when they're playing at their best, Jalen Smith is doing big things. And I don't think he's ever going to get, you know, the same sort of love probably nationally as Bruno Fernando might or Anthony Cowan when he's playing at his best. And maybe Jalen Smith isn't quite the draft-ready prospect we thought he'd be coming in. But you know what is capable. he is capable of doing when he's at his best. And we saw that. And Maryland, if they're going to be – as good as they can be, they need to do everything they possibly can to get him set up to do more of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's early in the game. He was kind of settling, it seemed. And, you know, he was taking the threes and he didn't hit a three last night. Um, I think he missed his first five shots. He was like one of seven, one of eight in the first half. And then just kind of took over the second half. He had 14, I think, after the break. And finished as Maryland's leading scorer and just just really took it to you know Purdue's guys and that's you know they're not they don't have the guys that they had but guys haven't done that to them much this year and Fernando in the second half and Smith especially in the second half did that eight wins in a row dating back to early January and Maryland bullied them we know how good Maryland can be when they're at their best they bully teams and they beat them up but I wasn't expecting them to do that against the 12th best team in the country and one that had been just red hot. And part of that comes to how great they played on defense, and we know that is what Mark Turgeon bases his teams on. And the key for that, Lamar, was Daryl Morsell, who is not the best shooter, but is as important a player for Maryland as there is because he completely shook up Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards had, it was, I think, nearly 20 points, but he had to take 27 shots, and almost all the shots were protected. And even his best open looks were prayers. And even as you're watching, you're thinking they're going to go in, and then he'll airball one, and the entire crowd is loving it. And that was probably Daryl Morsell playing his best defense. And again, Maryland's going to be playing a lot of good teams down the stretch, and Daryl Morsell is going to be required to play like that against said team's best offensive player. If Morsell could do half of that against really good players, because Carson Edwards is one of the best players in the country, Maryland's got a chance against anybody if Daryl Morsell could play half as good defense as he played last night yeah and underrated is his first half defense on Carson Edwards I know he still scored 17 points but they said it in the post game like he's going to hit some tough shots there were he hit there was one where Daryl was directly in his face and Carson buried one that didn't even touch the like didn't touch anything but the bottom of the net and it was just like wow like there's very little you can do and the that's the best thing to watch 
from my perspective last night, uh, well, one was Bruno absolutely putting harms in the body bag, but on the defensive end and talking about Darren Morsell is in the first half, uh, Carson Edwards strips Eric Ayala, comes down the court, dunks, and is having a really good time playing in front of our fans, and it's a moment that I think really the team took personal because they came out of halftime and there was nothing for him. And there was, it was Daryl a lot. He was chasing him around those screens and uh, Anthony Cowan was chasing Ryan Klein around uh, screens as well, keeping him in check. But Daryl having to take that mantle and really step up and stop the best scorer in the Big Ten this season was really promising to see. And it's some, it's a role he said afterwards that he's, he's embraced and that uh, coach Turgeon is like watching him fill. Um, and he's shooting better. He only had four points last night, but what Maryland really needs out of him consistently is that defense that I will guard anyone on the court one through four, one through five and shut him down. And if he can do that, consistently or even for most of games, Maryland's a much better team. You have to do it semi-consistently because you're going to be playing great players down the stretch, and especially in a one-off tournament game, you're going to be playing some really good basketball players. And using Reese Bracatelli's example, Maryland would be perhaps in a 6-3 game with Marquette. Daryl Morsell would be the guy guarding Marcus Howard. And Marcus Howard's kind of like Carson Edwards. And that's what you need because you don't want to get a guy having 30 points and then running you out of the gym and you don't have a chance because you couldn't do something to put them off their game, even slightly. That's what Daryl Marcel can do. Uh, can we say that the dunk at the end of the game was nothing, and the people saying class are kind of, you know, butthurt about losing? I hate when stuff like that happens. It is, it is the most ridiculous thing that we're seeing people complain about class. Who cares? If you're going up by 12 at the end of a game, stop the dunk. Prevent it from happening. Yeah. You know it's Bruno Fernando. What is he going to do? He's not going to lay it in. Come on. Uh, yeah, what do you expect him to do? Like, kiss off the grass, brick it so the score didn't go up? It was like, dunk it home, make it secure, call it a game. It was like, it's whatever. Good game next map. See, I missed the memo where people got mad about that. Oh, I saw some tweets about that. I saw some tweets. See, I, I mean, I believe it because people will get mad about anything. But, I think yeah. it was some Purdue fans mostly. I don't think any Maryland fan was mad about that. But I mean, anybody who I don't know. I think people like people this. are kind of just on to Bruno right now after Nebraska. And it's stupid. That's possible. And it's yes. dumb. Because, as I said, if they if Bruno Fernando was on any insert any team you dislike here, he'd be reviled. But he's on Maryland, and that's for therefore you love him. And again, there's no, there's nothing wrong with it. Even when he's on a team you dislike, those kinds of players are good, and you need them in the sport. And Maryland hasn't had one in a while, and he's been playing just out of his mind good recently. I'm surprised he's not higher on NBA mock drafts, but we'll get into that another time. Now, this five-game stretch from hell concludes with the next two at Michigan and at Iowa. And Thomas, I hate saying it, but it's true. Maryland's in the conversation of winning the Big Ten regular season title. They could absolutely do it because they play Michigan twice. And Michigan has to also play Michigan State twice. And there's a decent chance that they cancel each other out. So if Maryland runs the table, they could win the Big Ten regular season title. I'm not saying that they will, but they've got a chance to. And I don't think even the most realistically optimistic Maryland fan would have ever thought that was remotely possible. 
Yeah, I mean, 10 and 4 is a little better than, you know, it's slightly above what pretty much anyone would have predicted. And the Big 10, yeah, and you, I wasn't even, you know, you wouldn't have been sure that 10 and 4 would even have that much of a chance. Um, with with Michigan and Michigan State in the league, um, you know, but they've taken a couple lumps. Both have had some iffy road losses. Um, and yeah, so Maryland has a chance. Like if they be, if they do kind of the unthinkable and beat Michigan, they'll have the same conference record. And then if Michigan State also loses over the weekend, and and Purdue loses, then it'll be a three way tie: Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State. So Can't like, imagine that happening, but. No. However, yeah, like if Maryland does knock off even one of the two ranked teams, they're still kind of in the hunt. And even if they don't win those two games, they're still in the hunt for a double bye, which after last season, after everything else, I mean, it's going to be hard to be disappointed if they get double bye. I don't know how anybody could be disappointed if they get a double bye out of this. I mean, I don't think most people thought that was possible after they lost to Illinois. And it turns out that losing to Illinois isn't actually that bad of a thing because many other good teams have lost to them. But, I mean, now we've reached the point where it's not as if Maryland should win one of these next two games, but if you, you could easily see a universe in which they do if they play like they have done. And if they do, it's gravy. It's not actually necessary at this point. It's hilarious. Yeah, I think, I think getting the Purdue in just kind of takes – sort of a pressure off of those games because you know if you're they've beat Purdue and so they've you know they avoid the possibility of losing three games in a row um they they won't go four losses in five games and this is not to say that the like Ohio State home game is a definite win either but it's not quite as daunting as these two games are coming up so, As I said, like Maryland was really good against Purdue when they played in the last Lafayette. Obviously, the teams are different, but Maryland should have won that game if they had executed. Maryland bullied Ohio State on the road. There is no reason to think, and I know it's Maryland basketball, that they can't do something similar to that at home. You know, their other home game... Yeah, I mean, just kind of the way that we've started. segmented the schedule is, you know, this section ends with those two games, and then the last section is the last four games which realistically you can and should probably win three of those four and maybe make a run at Michigan at home is kind of the hope. If they play like that at home and the building should probably be full, full for that Michigan game because it's a Sunday afternoon. And Red Panda's there. And Red Panda's there. And obviously that means everybody's going to show up. They could sell 25,000 seats if they wanted to for that game because Red Panda's there. Uh, Again, I, I, I don't see... Any reason why Maryland can't win one of these next two? Winning both would be unthinkable because they haven't beaten a road team, uh, a ranked team on the road since 2008, and we've been talking about that forever. But if they can, I mean, if they can get one, I think everybody's going to be ecstatic about it. I I would say the more likely is Iowa, but then again, I don't know because Michigan got shook up by Penn State Lamar, and Maryland kind of matches up well with them. Michigan doesn't have anybody who can guard Bruno Fernando and take him away and really bother Jalen Smith, right? They don't seem like that's their M.O., and that might suit Maryland a little bit in an odd way. Yeah, you have to like how Maryland matches up as, where is it saying, going against Michigan and going on the road against Michigan. 
Uh, but especially after the way they played against Purdue last night or Tuesday night, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you have to be enthused and cautiously optimistic. Uh, both Bruno and Jalen are coming off two straight really good games in the paint. If they can do something similar against Michigan, you, that gives Maryland a definite edge. And if you get quality quality production out of uh, Anthony Cowan, Eric Ayala, and another defensive performance similar from Durham Morsell, I don't know how, like, what Michigan, what Michigan counters with. Of course, you're in their home court, and Maryland hasn't won a ranked game on the road, et cetera. Uh, but my question is, if they win the next one or do the unthinkable and win both of them, what does the Mark Turgeon can't coach crowd say? I was about to mention that because earlier I saw the John Rothstein tweet from last night. It was saying it's a bad night for the Mark Turgeon can't coach crowd. Which yeah, always so, said that he's a better Seth coach. Seth Davis. Seth Davis. Yeah, Seth, Seth Davis. Davis. And it was sorry, funny. We re- basically to make. We retweeted that one from the main account because literally like two minutes before Seth Davis, Seth, Seth Davis had tweeted it. Justin turns to me, and says, "Rough night for the uh, Mark Turgeon can't coach crowd." So when we saw it pop on the feed, it's like, "All right, that one gets a retweet." And I saw somebody at mentioned Jeff Ehrman. It's like, so this is going to be Fire Turgeon Week on the boards then. <laughs> stating the obvious, but that's Maryland basketball. I, I do want to say one quick word, uh, Thomas, on the Iowa game. I mean, that's a team that actually shoots better than you think they would. Uh, they're a pretty good team, although they've had some struggles recently. They kind of played poorly against Northwestern but got away with it. Uh, that's another really difficult game on the road, and and I think most Maryland fans are going to be like, if you win one, then that's perfectly fine. We're not expecting much even though there's reason to think that you could expect more now because they've just done what they did at Purdue. But Yeah, I was a good team. I was very beatable even in their building, I think. Um, well, they've Three-point line. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, at a close game in their building, it'll be kind of tough to close. You know, that, that'll be, especially with Bohan in the last few games, he's been like some sort of wizard in crunch time. Um, but... Otherwise, like like Maryland ran Iowa off the floor last year, and Iowa's a year older and better, but Maryland's also a much better team than it was last year. So initial thoughts, we'll, we'll obviously look more in this game when it, when it comes up, but initial thoughts, that's the one that you can totally be optimistic about. Yeah, I, I think it's more optimistic than Michigan, but we will find out. We will talk about those games on the next show. Never, ever in our time doing this podcast have we spent that much time talking about one basketball game, but it was that good, so we would almost spend 30 minutes talking about it. But, Thomas, yesterday was also great because Maryland football had nice things happen. Nick Cross is going to Maryland. Mike Loxley must be a wizard because I don't know how he did this. And the whole story of Nick Cross, we talked about it before last week, but... To get him to sign for Maryland like this, I mean, they were at, what, 77 or something before some of the recruits started coming in, and now Maryland has a top 50 class, and Mike Lockley basically spent two weeks on the trail. He had recruited successfully the top five players in Maryland, even though three went to Alabama. This is kind of nuts. Yeah, I mean, this was a a very big uh, year for Loxley, um, between Bama and Maryland, and it's it 
it kind of gets you excited. It sets you up for if he, you know, if he does anything close to that in 2020, you're set. Um, but yeah, so so the Nick Cross thing was kind of weird because Maryland was a bit of a last minute sort of entry into the race. You know, he's obviously known Loxley for a while. Elijah Brooks was his high school coach. And it, it's kind of just hard to say what exactly the deal was with Florida State and Penn State. I think he wanted Florida State. His parents wanted Penn State. Both of them liked Maryland. I, that, that's sort of my read on it. And whatever Maryland told him late, like a dead period started in days before signing day. But Maryland kind of emerged as a dark horse like the day before. And then he committed a week later. So I don't. I don't know exactly how it played out, but it's the it's he's the he's the highest ranked recruit Maryland has signed since Damian Prince, who was a five star top thirty player. Um, it's the third top hundred guy they've gotten in the last four cycles, and all three of those guys have been from Dematha. It's also probably most importantly he's he's got to be like the biggest recruit in Maryland track history. You're right. Actually, he runs. He's second in the nation in the 55, and he just like he started running track because he felt like it. I think like not too long ago, and he turns out he's pretty darn good at it. So big get. Lamar, I don't know how this works. It's really nice. The only weird thing is, so uh, Nick Cross was at the game yesterday along with uh, the entire Maryland football staff. And they introduced him at the game, put him on the Jumbotron. And while he was still on the Jumbotron, they were like, five season tickets. And it's just like, oh, God, Don't please, do that no. Now. Yeah, it was, it was cringeworthy. It was awkward to witness. Uh, but you have to be excited because Loxley pulls in. Like you said, he got all five. The middle three will go to Alabama, but he takes the number one recruit in the state and the number five commit and the top offensive and defensive uh, recruits from the state and the class, which is really good building blocks for your first year back on the trail, and especially on an uh, abbreviated cycle for Loxley. It's a, a really good thing to see if you're uh, looking at Maryland uh, recruiting. And he he may not be done. We'll see. We'll see. There's still the uh, graduate transfer cycle, uh, people putting their names in and out of the transfer portal. So we'll see what uh, Loxley has up his sleeve still. He's a wizard. I have to say it. It's the only thing I can say about uh, how he's able to pull this off with almost no lead-up time, and it just sort of happens out of nowhere. Uh, it's got to be that where Walt gift. It might be. It might be. I, I was partial to Walt Bell's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing, but I obviously already like this one more. So, hey. Yeah, I mean, this one's working. It's, it's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of him as a Pink Floyd guy. You know, I don't think he would be, but he's old enough to maybe be in the market no, like Pink Floyd. I wouldn't think of him as one, but I believe it. I, I would believe whatever. That's kind of where I'm at with that. I I don't know. I, I'm not going to get in, into people's musical tastes because you can never judge what they are unless you go to a hockey game and you meet a hockey fan. Then you can easily judge what someone's musical taste is if you do that. However, we should talk about the transfer portal because uh, Lamar mentioned a couple of words on it. And Kasim Hill has entered his name in the transfer portal, Thomas. This is an interesting story. He's still rehabbing from his injury. He's in the portal, but he has not committed to transfer or to stay yet. 
he wrote something very thoughtful about this on Twitter, and you completely understand where he's coming from when you would think that he might be passed on the depth chart, and there is a four-star recruit who's named Legend behind him. So it's fascinating to see uh, what he has to say, and the response was not one I was expecting from Maryland fans. It was actually kind of not bad. I was expecting it to be a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, I got there were a few, but there are always going to be a few. Um, I think Kasim kind of like he got out ahead of it because when the rumors started coming out, you know, he posted the note and everyone when, when they do that, you know, you kind of see where they're coming from, and you know, I I, I had kind of thought to myself a little while ago, like once they got Lejana, writing was kind of on the wall. It's hard to see Kasim Hill being Maryland's starting quarterback again. Which is like, it's tough, but it's it's a tough business. And like, if they get a grad transfer quarterback too, you know, it's possible that Pigram or Bortenschlager considers it at least. So, you know, there could be there could be more shuffling. And just this on Kasim's note in particular, what I wrote is that maybe you know another school wants to take a chance on him, and. You know, the the year off to transfer would not really be a deterrent because he probably missed this whole season anyway. Um, and if someone, if his best chance to compete for a good starting job was elsewhere, then go for it. And if not, then, you know, he's a Maryland kid. He I think he'd be happy to stay and Maryland would be happy to have him. So, you know, just putting your name in the, in the portal is what allows you to sort of explore those options, see who reaches out to you. It's It's the right thing to do. Lamar, what do we think about this? Because there is the thought that Maryland might be going after a grad transfer quarterback too, which adds a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say a wrench, but it adds more intrigue into the quarterback room. And Hill's injury, obviously, it, it kind of sucks. But at this point, he's already blown out both knees. And Tyro Pigram, I think even if Hill was healthy, might have ended up being the starter going into the season anyway. And... None of those guys are Mike Loxley's guys. They were recruited by a previous staff, and you can't blame him for trying to go out and get guys that he might want. So uh, the best part of it was he got out ahead of it and didn't let the rumors swirl for very long. And when the player speaks their mind in this situation, you get a better response to it than, oh, here's some dude from Alabama reporting that his name is in the transfer portal. Yeah, it was, def- like, it was definitely smart for him to get out and talk about, just tell us what he was thinking. Uh it makes sense that he would explore it. I honestly thought if anyone was going to be gone, it would be Bordenschlager first. Uh, but you totally understand why Kasim would look at those options and consider looking elsewhere. Uh, again, he's not committed to go elsewhere. And I, like Thomas said, I, it's, it's smart to look at your options. It's always smart to know what you're up against. Uh, and... Like we were talking about, he, there could still be a grad transfer on the way. There could still, like, Pigram could have started whether or not Kasim was healthy. Uh, and then you had add Lejean to the mix. And that's not even mentioning Tyler DeSue, who might also end up getting passed on the de- uh, depth chart for a while. So it totally makes sense. Uh, at this point, there are adding Lejean makes five quarterbacks in the room. A grad transfer would make six. I think we did scholarship. Uh, we looked at the scholarships the other day, and they were at 84. 
so writing's on the wall. Someone's not going to be in that room, or presumably, presumably, someone won't be in that room when the uh, season starts. But whether Kasim or whether Kasim stays is yet to be seen. Uh, it was, but it absolutely makes sense. It was an interesting story when you say it because you wouldn't have thought it might happen. We heard the talk before um, this really little bit of time that Mike Loxley had to do a lot of recruiting pitches to keep the guys who are already here, here. And we thought afterwards, maybe that might tamp down most of it. There's attrition every year in college football because of the rosters and because, you know, players sometimes don't get the opportunities or, you know, you could be a football coach that hates this transfer system. Our friends at uh, the big site at SB Nation have written about this and some coaches have really not covered themselves in glory when they talk about it. Here's looking at you, Mike Gundy. So, at least there's a much more dignified transfer portal story with Maryland, and we will see how things play out with the quarterback room and incomings and uh, the like going forward for the football team. There is certainly a lot more time before even spring practice starts before you would figure that would be settled. Uh, let's get to women's basketball now, Thomas, and uh, they're just going to go along and do their thing. They got their revenge against Rutgers by just dunking on them in their gym. That's what this team does. I think they found themselves now. Definitely. I mean, even throughout their winning streak, I think, you know, it was six games going into Rutgers. Just throughout that, you know, they had won games easily, but those were mostly against, you know, lower end, middle of the pack, Big Ten teams. I mean, they were fighting with Rutgers for first place. That game was for first place and it was in in the rack and they just ran them out of their own building. That's that is a statement win and a half. And they'll have another chance. They go to Iowa this weekend. Um, so if you take care of that and you uh, beat Nebraska at home, they are in very, very, very good shape. And we did see the tournament seeds released. I believe they were the second highest three seed behind Oregon State. Now, I don't know how many more great. I think actually done. Iowa was one spot ahead of them. So that'll be noteworthy. Uh that game's on Sunday, I think. I believe Maryland is now ranked 7th and Iowa's ranked 14th. Yes, that game is Sunday. So it's mm-hmm. fascinating when you think about what that game could mean. Iowa was probably, I don't know if they were the best contender for Maryland heading into uh, this season. Certainly looked that like That was the it. team that I thought would have been, yeah. But, so, this is the only time they play in the regular season. It's quite possible this is the team they play in the tournament final if that ends up happening. But the fact is, they're playing the best basketball now. And I don't think Nebraska's going to beat them at Xfinity Center. So, you look at that game and you now start to say, well, I don't know how much higher Maryland's seed could go. Maybe they could get the lowest two seed. But you wanted to see them start to play their best basketball at a critical time. And now they're starting to. We were wondering, you know, when they had lost to Rutgers, they'd lost to Michigan State, weren't playing great against not good teams. Were they going to turn the corner? They've clearly turned the corner. They figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think... If they run the table, they're probably on the two line. But if they lose once more, depending on who it is, you know, if it's Iowa and they get revenge over them, maybe they can sneak in with some help. But, you know, they'll they'll most likely be either a two or three. And the bracket that they were put in is rough. I did not but, see how it worked with the S curve. I just saw the seeds. So it wasn't it wasn't a straight S curve. Maryland got in a, a really tough region that included Baylor, Notre Dame, and South Carolina. That seems unfair. In a hypo- in that hypothetical, it, w- it would be quite unfair. 
But like, real, like Maryland alas. has kind of been jobbed by the NCAA tournament committee multiple times in past years for reasons that are only understood by the committee themselves. And you could argue a lot of that had to do with the Big Ten being not good behind Maryland and Ohio State. The Big Ten is obviously not great. It's not the SEC or the Big 12 or even the Pac-12, but it's deeper this year. There's no reason you should be put in a region with those three teams. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. And I know that the top of college of women's college basketball is a lot less top-heavy than it's been, but that just kind of seems a little bit unfair. Yeah, I mean, and even just ranking-wise, it was 1, 6, 11, and 13, which is a little bit above you know, what a 1, 8, 9, 16 would be. Yeah. It certainly seems like it. Certainly seems like it. And, but. of course, Notre Dame is as talented as anyone. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Notre Dame's a defending national champion to return everyone. And South Carolina's the four, and South Carolina was a team that Maryland did go in and kind of destroy in November. But, I mean, they gave UConn a run for their money. Mm-hmm. So, again, we'll see what that ends up meaning. But that big game, but that's... If that's the actual game. bracket, we'll riot, but it probably won't be. I don't think it will be that actual game, uh, the bracket. Anyway, we will find out as they go forward. That game against Iowa is on ESPN2 Sunday. I highly encourage you to watch it because that will probably be the game of Maryland's season, and it might not be the last time they play Iowa, and they're really good. Mega Gustafson's a really good player, too. So, you know, Maryland's got good players, but it is okay to watch other players who are good on other teams. Uh, let's shift focuses to lacrosse's. Uh, I was not paying attention to this because I was kind of playing Kingdom Hearts over the weekend. Sorry, lacrosse teams. I do still like you. Uh, so what happened there, Thomas? Well, do you want the first three quarters of the men's game or the last one? Well, I do know that they held on barely to beat Richmond. They dominated for the first three quarters and then took their foot off the gas. I have been reading the site religiously to be preparing for this show. Yeah, so that is also my recap is that they were very good, and then they just stopped playing well. And Richmond's got scores. Richmond's got playmakers, and they got themselves back in the game. You know, the, it, it got definitely way too close for comfort. Um, I think really the big thing off that is Maryland just dominated face-offs. And that was an issue for for them the last couple of years. Uh, Austin Henningsen went 15 for 15. He's the first guy in Big Ten history to go perfect on at least 15 attempts now let's be fair the and, Big Ten lacrosse conference has only existed for five years yes but but it, it is obviously still impressive and you know justin shockey's been really solid as well there is he related to jeremy shockey i hope so i would hope so but i don't think he is that would sadly. be such a great thing to happen in our there's lives there's not enough there's not nearly enough miami in him oh uh, oh well um, yeah, but Jared Bernhardt, uh, had his predictable star turn. He had five goals all in the first half. Um, and this is after, I think he had just one or two in the first game. Logan Wisnowskis had four. So they're fine. Uh, the women's team is more than fine. They, they did what they'll do against George Mason. They won 16 to five, but they go at Florida on Thursday, and that'll teach us a lot about really both teams because Florida is good and experienced. They're number four in the country. They're at home. It's very much not a given. It's very much not a given, but with the Maryland team, even well, this, with the women's lacrosse team, I think we've noticed this mostly. If they do lose to somebody, they're going to get their revenge. Or 
If they and find if they lose to someone, it's probably they'll find UNC. a way to win. And if they lose to someone, it's probably UNC. If they lose to someone, it's if, yes, almost guaranteed because that's who they lose to in this sport. But there is no team like the women's lacrosse team, I think we can say, Thomas, from the time that we've been following them and covering them. If they lose or they find a way to be motivated for a game, they will win. Sometimes it's the games that would sneak up on you that kind of get them a little bit. But this team, if they find some reason to be motivated to play at their best, no one's stopping them. They're just a completely dominant force. Yeah, so I've, like, credential covered, written a game or four, one women's lacrosse game in my life. It was last year against JMU, who was ranked higher at the time because they were undefeated. And Maryland's like, what the hell are they doing ranked higher? And they beat them quite convincingly. I mean, the score wasn't, it wasn't like a blowout, but it was very clear who the better lacrosse team was. JMU then won the national championship. This is true. This is true. But if Maryland, as I said, if they find a reason to be motivated, there is no program that I've seen in any Maryland sport that finds a way to get themselves motivated and then just completely destroys you and eats you. Oh, absolutely. So, like, and Kathy Reese is just saying we have to shoot better, you know, because they had 16 goals on 41 shots, which is, like, slightly down from their average last year. Only, and, only, only and to her, that's a that. big problem. To her, that is a big problem. Only Kathy We're shooting slightly under 40%. Like, only Kathy Reese could legitimately say that. Yes. There is, there is no other team right? Not just Maryland sports, but many sports that could say something like that and get away with it. Yep. It's, it's an, I love that program for that reason, and you should watch those games if you can. Uh, Lamar, do you have any thoughts on any of these things we've just talked about? <laughs> I don't want to leave you out. Uh, only the, yeah, the only thing I know about the women's lacrosse team is like they're going to go to Memorial Weekend, and if they lose during the season, it's probably the UNC. This is true. This is true. And uh, every time I do some of those, like, July 4th, like, high school lacrosse tournaments, we I, the joke with the color person I've done it with the last couple of years would be like, oh, well, who's going to Maryland? Her, 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 her. And you'd go like, oh, they're some of the best players on the field. I guess Cassie, I guess Cassie Reese is paying attention. It was – I love doing that the last couple of years. Regardless, there's one more topic of Maryland sports that we should talk about. And, uh, Thomas, you didn't know what the Alliance of American Football uh, was last weekend. Maybe you know about it now because you wrote about it. There were five players in the uh, AF that played at Maryland, and uh, I didn't actually know who they were until you talked about them. I didn't know what teams they were on, but now I do. Yeah, so the way that the league works, I, I, I got kind of into this, like, the weekend of. You know, it was a, oh, this is on today? Oh, fun, because it was after all the uh, – good college basketball that day. It was after Duke, so, Virginia. It was after Duke, Virginia. Yeah, and so I was watching it then. Um, and so you kind of pay attention to it, and then you figure out the way that they draft the teams is every team is assigned, like, a region and then different schools in that region. And so, like, a lot of schools have what Maryland has, which is they have three or four of their alumni on the same team. And that's like kind of quietly genius because now every Maryland fan is a Birmingham iron fan because they, they want to see their guys. And they won last week. And they won and Nick Novak kicked four field goals and he's special teams player of the week, which means so far he is. Too. Nope. He was perfect. Four for four. Oh, he was perfect. I thought he missed one. I wasn't really paying attention that much at that point during the game. No kickoffs. No, they wiped the floor with him. 
Yeah, there are no kickoffs in the AF. There are no, no kickoffs, no extra points. So then what do the kickers do other than kick field goals? Sit there and give pep That's talks, it. I guess. Yep. So who else was uh, on the Birmingham Iron, which is a great name for a team in Birmingham, by the way? That is, we got Brandon Ross. Yep, remember him. Mr. Two Touchdowns on the game. Yeah, yeah. How was I watching that game and not paying attention enough to notice that? And Michael Dunn, Michael Dunn and Amba Edetabo. Amba Edetabo. Well, does he really count? Because he kind of went to Syracuse afterwards. We're counting him. We are counting him? Okay. Who is the other guy? We, are, we claim him. The other one is Dexter McDougal. He plays for Arizona, I think. That's right. I think – I don't know if they won or not, but McDougal had a good look at the Jets. Uh, I think they did, yeah. I don't remember Unless, who wins. And let's not forget Lamont Jordan as the running backs coach for the San Diego Fleet. Yeah, that's right. Now you're color commentator on Maryland football games. Yep. He's very good, by the way. Yeah, I like him. I like him on the call. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this to get ingratiated with the people who run that so one day I could end up getting said job. I'm not doing that <laughs> totally. at all. Totally. Totally. Not um, at all. But there you go. So now you have reasons to watch the AF. You already had reasons. It's football and there's no NFL. That's... It was either that or, like, spend time with your family. <laughs> no, 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 no. Alternatively, alternatively, actually don't watch hockey if you like the team that I like. Don't do that to yourself. No, don't do that idea. to yourself, no. Now, if it's the Capitals, you're probably going to be okay. They're, they're, they're all right. They're going to be all right. Yeah, in February, you're all right. Uh, yeah, in April, don't do – well, actually, no. Does it matter now? Because they've won the Cup. I don't think you're going to have the same moral breakdowns or mental breakdowns. Uh, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious because – like, when Villanova got one, they got upset in the first round or second, second round, round the next year, and everyone's like, oh, right, yeah, they're right back to being what they are. And then they won it again the year after, and now, like, no one will say anything bad about Villanova ever. So uh, we'll see. Well, the night they won the first national championship, and they were claiming themselves to be a Philadelphia school, and uh, they're not technically in Philadelphia. I mean, that did happen, but that was of a friend of mine, and we both live in the area, so... Yeah, I mean, like, national media kind of plays up that they're from Philly. I mean, again, it's like saying that South Jersey is basically Philly. It isn't, but, I mean, it basically kind of is. Everybody kind of sounds like they're from Philly, and there's Wawa's, and everybody likes the Eagles, so kind of is. But, I mean, it, it is basically – it's not in Philly, but it's close enough. It's Speaking of Philly, former Sixers minicamp guy, Mello Trimble, is going to Puerto Rico, apparently. This has been only reported by the team in Puerto Rico. So huh. that is a thing. Just while we're on uh, random Maryland news and notes here. Oh, and let's not forget Kevin Herter and the Hawks beating LeBron last night to send him into the... Were the, the... crying in that game? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you think LeBron wanted to, make... to go into All-Star Weekend under 500, yeah, he was trying. Now, I will say this. Maybe LeBron is now going to trade his entire team for Kevin Herter. That would be interesting. In person. That's what we call they a fearless idea. Yeah, if they get – Kevin Herter would be nice around LeBron. That's just easy, easy buckets. It's like you need shooters. You need someone who can handle the ball a little bit. He did Come work out Magic. with the Lakers, and I think, I think Magic liked him. <laughs> Come on, Magic. You know what to do. <laughs> oh, man. That would be amazing. I can't wait to watch LeBron's all-tamper team during this weekend. 
Oh, I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> it's nice that we don't have tampering in college basketball, right? Wait, wait, we wait, have, wait, wait. We have different versions of tampering. Yeah. Excuse me. It's called recruiting. <laughs> once you're, once you're, once you're in the, once you're in college basketball, though, you're, you're safe. I think. Um. Well, LeBron and uh, uh, Ray John Rondo did come in to watch uh, Zion at, at Virginia. Zion is. I mean, kind you of, gotta figure out how you Zion can trade everyone on your bench. The, Zion kind of transcends the sport he plays. So. Well, until he goes to the Knicks. Yes. Uh, oh, my or, favorite. And or until Bruno Fernando dunks on him to tie this all nicely back together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what other random Maryland things did you say you wanted to bring up other than uh, Mel Trimble going to Puerto Rico? Interesting. Uh, well, we'll go back to like baseball and softball. Baseball starts this weekend. Not super optimistic. Softball won two games against Murray State, and we'll we'll see if they can build off that. Um, Let's see. John Morant does not play for the Murray State softball team. Yeah, uh, I think. <laughs> could you imagine if like it's a random softball team and like ah oh, here's John Morant hitting six? Well, here's John Morant <laughs> too. It would be amazing, right? <laughs> He would like swing the bat behind his back somehow. I don't like. I don't know what he's doing, but it works. Have you? He definitely exposed himself in like the first weekend. What was that? He'd do something ridiculous. He's like, wait a second, is that? Is that that John Morant? Has have you ever thought about Murray State in your life than because of John Morant? Cameron Payne. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was the closest, but that was like I didn't think about them until John Morant is just the fall form of Cameron Payne. My take. Ah. My column. Your column. And where will that be written, sir? Do we have a Murray State blog? We'll find one. Ah, uh, we'll make one. Is there a we'll Murray start State the John Morant blog. I God, I hope so. State message for, but we'll find out about that. And before these non-sequiturs go on far too long, because that has happened with me on other podcasts, we will end. We thank you very much for listening. We hope there is more happy basketball tidings to bring you next week. We hope that this is not the happiest podcast we'll ever record. Lord willing, but... It's Maryland sports, so you always have to remain some sort of cynical. Certainly I do. But, hey, we're happy now, and I'm not going to try to take away that joy by thinking of anything bad about Maryland sports, at least until it happens. Or somebody else complains about Bruno Fernando, in which case he'll probably dunk on them too. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Enjoy the games this weekend. Until then, we'll go Terps.